Brothers, sisters in Christ, uh, it is really uh, my honor and the honor of my wife and family to join you again here in Burlington to share in the Word of God. We have all just pretty much over the past two, three weeks returned from uh, God's Feast of Tabernacles and I can say I'm still reeling from you know, the wonderful, wonderful time we had in uh, Leamington. It was really, really uh, great, quite a thrill uh, in a number of ways for us, and I'm sure it was the same for uh, those of us who were at all the feast sites, because wherever the Spirit of God dwells, there's joy, there's peace, and we know that, you know, we all uh, were able to benefit from the presence of God uh, at the various, uh, various feast sites. Um, since going back to Toronto, you know, we have already begun the uh, work we started towards an upcoming outreach that will be taking place on uh, October 27. It's a Sunday afternoon and it's going to be at the, the Canada Christian College. Um, very lovely you know, out, uh, layout there for an event such as that. And we have begun the, the sort of promotions that we would do. It's actually a topic-driven uh, outreach. And we have done this because, you know, people have barriers when it comes to, you know, what, they, what are called denominations and so on. And when you bring it out there, you know, they say, okay, what, what you know, what's this denomination about and so on. And, and that's not really what um, we're about. We're about bringing, you know, the gospel to people. And we think that this is a very important question to be asked. It's a question, are they lost? Which is really referring to the billions of people who have lived and died and through no fault of their own, they did not hear the gospel. They have not come to know Jesus Christ. And what is traditionally taught by uh, the Christian world is that these people have no hope. That because they died without knowing Christ, the only thing that God can do for them is to bring them back up to life. Even after they died. Even after they were swept away by a tsunami and suffered. Even though they died in states of wars and famine, that the God of love, his only solution is to bring them back to life and then to put them into an ever-burning hell. That's what popular Christianity teaches. And it's very, very noteworthy that small groups such as us, a small church, even though we claim to be the true church, we do not teach that the vast majority of human beings will not have an opportunity for salvation. We do teach that God's plan is to give them an opportunity for salvation. And that is why the gospel is good news. What is being taught is bad news. Bad news that the vast majority of human beings, when you consider 
that God did not send Christ into the world until 4,000 years after Adam sinned. It was not the fault of these people who lived during that 4,000 year period why they did not know Christ. The Bible tells us that God dealt with no other nation than Israel during this period of time. So how is it that these people who were born long before Christ ever died, did Christ die for them too? It's an important question. And if he did, how will it work out that they will have an opportunity for salvation? These are very important and compelling questions that must be answered. And God has given the answer to his church. And it is our duty... It behoves us not to sit on that message, but to take it to the world that people may know how God is working. So this is going to be there, and we have taken here with us some of the flyers. If you can get it out to people, there are some persons who are going to be so interested in a question like this, they will want to drive into Toronto. So you don't know who, we don't know who. What we know is we are commanded to give this message out so that uh, God may be able to call those who he's calling. It is God's duty to call. It is our duty to present the message so that those whom God is calling will hear the message. So we're very, very, um, we're very excited about this and we are... Uh, you know, we are doing not only handing these out, but we are doing advertisements on um, on uh, right here in Burlington, uh, Crossroads Television, CTV. Uh, they will be carrying the, the, the promotions for this, and so will Joy. Uh, they, their their promotions there, and then we have in uh, G98, uh, which is the popular radio station in Toronto that will be doing some promotions among other things as we're doing. Um, we will be sending you uh, by email some of these things and we're asking you if you have friends and relatives and so on, you know, just send it to them. Twitter, uh, Facebook, um, you know, the, the, the young people are a little more savvy when it comes to the media and so just send it out and, and let people know. Even to know that there's such a question to be answered is important. If people don't even come, but for them to know that there are some folks who think that they have the answer. Maybe sometime later on, they will want to contact us. So I urge you, please, join with us in getting this message out so that those who may wish to be there can be there. Now today, I want to address a question um, that is very popularly taught in the Protestant evangelical movement. Um, it is the issue that once a person is saved, once a person has come to know Jesus Christ, that that person, according to the teachings in the Protestant movement, that person can never fall away from the faith. That person can never lose their salvation. And this is such a wide teaching that
few people know that this is a very strong belief within um, movements. I mean, Billy Graham, for example, uh, teaches this. Old Roberts teaches this. The popular evangelists that you know, this is something that they believe very, very, very much. And if it is true, we ought to know it too. We ought to know, if this is really what God teaches, that once you're saved, you are always saved. Once you become a Christian, there's no way you can lose that salvation. It is either that, or that the Christian life requires that we so live in obedience to God, in faithful to God, that along the way we are being judged by God and that it is possible that if we do not live up to the standards to which God has called us that we can lose that salvation that's important to know and what I want to do is to go to the scriptures and to look at the texts that are predominantly used to suggest that, look, you don't need once you, once you have come and you say, I accept you, Lord, and you're my Savior, and so on, it doesn't matter how much you sin thereafter. You're okay. That is a teaching, whether you know it or not. And it is quite a popular teaching. I want to take you, first of all, to what is probably the primary text that is used in Romans 8, verse 38, and 39, the text that is used primarily for this belief. I will be touching on others, but this is what we would say is a primary text, the focal text, that is used to teach the idea of once saved, always saved. Here it is. For I am persuaded, says Paul, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Reading this text, pretty much nothing is left out. And what it is saying is, it matters not what you think about. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Now, we can't blame those who believe that, you know, so, once I'm saved, I'm always saved. Because there's nothing, I mean, look, it doesn't matter. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. I mean, nothing, nothing present, nothing in the past. Neither height nor death. Nothing can separate us. So now that I've accepted Christ, oh boy, I can go on living. Because it doesn't matter what happens. I'm okay. So how do we explain this to persons who believe that this text is saying that you cannot lose your salvation? We have to understand that in the Bible, in teaching us about 
the relationship between God and man, there is God's love and faithfulness towards man as one side of the coin. And there is man's love and faithfulness towards God as the other side of the coin. So there are two sides to the relationship. The relationship between God and man is not a one-sided relationship. And what this text is speaking to is God's faithfulness, God's unfailing love towards man. Nothing can change that. Absolutely nothing. And so everything that is written here is absolutely true. Nothing, absolutely nothing can remove God's love for man. Can cause God to cease to love mankind. So God's love towards man is unconditional. God's love. It's unconditional. There's no condition. That is going to say God does not love. But let me explain that a little more. Because it may sound. So how do you say that? And yet God. There can be a separation between God and man. So far as. Um, eternal life is concerned. Let me explain this a little more with a human example. A human example is a relationship between a parent and a child. A parent loves his her child in a manner that no matter what that child does, the love remains. The love. That's what we're talking about. This is talking about the love of God. It says nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that's really true. Nothing can separate the love of a parent for the child. But that parent constantly admonishes and warns the child of the danger of choices, wrong choices. The danger of wrong choices. And will continue to do so as long as the child lives. The child continues to admonish, this is what is right, this is what is wrong. But the consequences, as much as you and I, you know, those who are parents, love our children, the consequences of the child's choice will always be something that the child will have to deal with. The love of the parent does not remove the consequences of the choices that the child makes. Just think about it. Think about it in terms of God. God loves us eternally and without any favor, unconditionally. But our relationship to God 
as much as God admonishes us to live well and to stay away from sin, it does not take away the consequences of our choices. So God says to us to live uprightly, to stay away from sin. These things God will continue to do because God loves us. So that's how this text is to be understood. That God never ceases to love us. Even to the day of our death, God still appeals to us. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. And to continue to implore us to live in light of His uh, will. But, at the end of the day, if we cease to respond to that admonition, at the end of the day, the possibility of us falling out of that relationship is very possible according to the scriptures, where you will not have eternal life. So at no point does God ever cease to love. That is the point. That is all that this text is saying. God never ceases to love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. However, we can choose, we ourselves, because the Bible is clear that sin separates man from God because of man's sin. Man has come to the point where man does not love God. Man is not faithful to God. That's the other side of the coin. The other side is man's love. So what you're seeing here is not speaking about man's relationship to God. It's speaking about God's relationship to man. So let's look at what is man's relationship to God and how it works. You look in Isaiah 59 and verse 2. And although the Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God, Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your iniquities. It's speaking of man's relationship to God now. It's quite a different uh, aspect of this focus. The side where man's relationship to God. So there's God's relationship to man. Where God never fails us. God never stops loving us. Just like a parent would look and say, your child has gone to the point of death and now you're looking in the grave and you know you warned your child and even in the grave you continue to love. But love is not a unilateral relationship. It also requires the person to respond to that love. So God's love is only effectual when man responds. So God's love is outreaching. Man must say whether I want to participate in that love. Isaiah 59. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. So it is not God's love that is the problem. It's man's sin. Your sin has separated you from God. 
That is a missing element from the once saved, always saved doctrine. It is not taking into account that man has a responsibility toward God. Man needs to love God with all his heart, all his mind, all his strength. And to be faithful to the end. Enduring faith that will never be given up. So, someone may say that, ah, you see, you have gone back to Isaiah, Isaiah, which is the Old Testament, and Christ had not yet come. But now that Christ has come, it is changed. So what you have to speak about is in light of the Christ event. How does it stay now? How does it stand now? Is it still true that your sins can separate you from God? I ask you to turn with me to Hebrews 10 and verse 26 for that answer. Hebrews 10.26 is speaking about believers who have come to know Jesus Christ. And it is making a point that here are believers who are actually Christians who know God but are turning their backs upon Him. God does not cease to love them. His love is everlasting. But it is a believer's responsibility and the believer's response that is in question here. Hebrews 10.26 For if we sin willfully notice that word because a lot of the things concerning our salvation has to do with willful sin because man is always in a constant state of sin because of our carnal nature before God. And Christ continues to make intercession for us, to cover us, that we may appear righteous before God. But when we exercise our will to sin against God, which means, that we have an opportunity not to sin because we are aware of what we are doing. That's what this is talking about. For if we sin willfully after, look at that word, after, after we have received the knowledge of the truth. This is speaking of the gospel. This is speaking about coming to Christ and knowing what Christ wants us to know. If we sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. In other words, look, you've blown it. It's expired. The opportunity is gone. You are no longer in a state of good standing in your salvation with God. Very important to get this right. It's very important because 
If one proceeds in the Christian life believing that once you're saved, no matter what else you do, you're always saved, you stand the risk of falling. And the Bible warns us that let him that thinks he stand be careful, lest he fall. There's a warning in the scripture for us. And so it is vital that each one of us take this seriously. It's not, a, it's not a simple matter. It's not just a doctrine. It's not just a teaching. It's not just a theoretical thing. It's a life and death issue. That each believer must understand and come to reckon with. And either say, this is wrong or this is right. That is why this is so important. It is important to understand where this idea came from. The idea of one saved or being saved. How did it originate? And how is it that it is today in our presence? And if you go back to Genesis 3 and verse 4, you will see there that the first time this idea was promoted was by Satan, the enemy, the arch enemy of man, who wants to see man's destruction. He was the first one who said it. Speaking to two righteous, well, Eve, a righteous woman, that look, it's okay. You're righteous. So, even if you do this, you will not die. You already have eternal life. So, you don't have to worry. So, if you do this, you will not die. Genesis 3 and verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. After, inveigling her, to break God's command to sin sin transgressing God's law disobedience to God and after wooing her to sin he would say to her huh, you don't have to worry because she was in a righteous state according to this teaching you cannot fall from your righteous state but here Adam and Eve were righteous people. They had no sin. And here was the idea that they would fall. The, the idea that now that you have salvation you cannot fall is disproven by this text. Because here were two people who no one could claim that they were not righteous. God made them and said that was very good. He didn't even say that it was good. Very good. And yet we see them falling from the position of their righteousness into sin. Therefore we cannot deny this transition from a righteous standing before God into a state of sin. Later on, you will see in the New Testament 
Because philosophers along the way continued with the idea. But the New Testament, the Gnostic teachings of the New Testament, the Gnostics with whom Paul, if you, if you do a study of Gnosticism, you will understand that the Gnostics taught that because the flesh is evil, no matter what you do with it, you're not sinning because it's already evil. And therefore you, you will remain righteous. That's one of the branches of Gnosticism, the teaching of Gnosticism, that you can continue to sin and you remain righteous. Do some reading in the area of Gnostic teaching, Gnosticism, which is, comes out of the Greek word for knowledge. People think they know, and therefore this was one of the teachings that was there. Later on, Augustine began, he developed a thesis on the whole idea of, it wasn't called once saved, always saved, but it was eternal salvation. And it was that idea, based on predestination, he took the whole thing about predestination and said, oh, people are predestined to be righteous and predestined to be lost. And it was that teaching that John Calvin built on and what you see in the church today as a doctrine called once saved, always saved is based upon Calvinism. The teaching of John Calvin who developed the idea and began to say, well, you know what? This is the way God is saving the world. God knows who was going to be righteous from the beginning. And he knew who would not be righteous. So what he has done is, he has already predestined who is going to be saved and who is going to be lost. And so, that is why the popular teaching concerning the, the billions of people, see how doctrines connect? The billions of people who have lived and died without knowing Christ, one of the answers given to that issue by the evangelical and the protestant movement is that, oh, no, those people, God has laid out the nations in an order, those who are not going to be saved. So all of the people, the billions, which is the majority of people, who live from the area of, um, you know, uh, West Africa coming into East Asia, all the five billion of the seven billion human beings who live there, they are already predestined to be lost. So, you know, God has laid them out there. That's, they are going to be burnt in hell. They have no opportunity for salvation. God, through his foreknowledge, knew that. And what he has put in America and Canada, the Caribbean and so on, are those who he knows would believe him. And so, this is why on this side of the world, we know about Christ, and they don't know about Christ on there. That's, that's an argument that is presented. And it comes out of this teaching. Because people really believe that some people, from the beginning, God predestined them to be lost. But think about the implication of that thinking. Think about the implication. The implication of a God who we say is a God of love. If that is what he was thinking and he knew, why did he cause them to be born? 
knowing that all that he would be doing with them is that in their ignorance he would be now condemning them to an ever-burning hell. He had the power where he could have seized their birth. But no, to his glory. So God is made into this, this, this being who enjoys to see people suffer. And that is the God you are bringing to the world? Misrepresentation of the scriptures. It's vital to get these things correctly and to get them straight. Now let's take another uh, text that is used. John 10, verses 27 to 29. This is another text that is used to teach the once saved, always saved doctrine. John 10, verses 27 to 29. It says here, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Pretty much the same thing. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So this is another text that is used to teach once saved, always saved. How do we answer it? <clears throat> the text is clearly showing that God, through His mercy, He He continues to show His love and His guidance for His sheep. And He says, My sheep knows my voice. The idea here is that God, and we teach this, this is what we teach in the church. We teach that whom God has predestined is in the Bible. He is called, and whom He has called, He has glorified, and whom He glorified, He is sanctified, and whom He, 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 uh, he has sanctified, He glorifies. We, we, we teach that in the scriptures. But what does that mean? What it means is that God will give every human being, not just some, every human being an opportunity for salvation and he is calling them in a particular order so what is predestined is the order of God's calling not just some people the order in which God is calling the world that is what is predestined so God is predestined some to be called before others but it's not that God has predestined some and then to be saved and some to be lost That's not what it means. The order of God's calling is predestined. He's predestined. So therefore, the first fruits is what he's calling first. But there are other fruits to come. So that a text such as you find in the book of Corinthians, which says, as in Adam all die, listen to that word, all die, so in Christ all, the very all that die in Adam will live in Christ. As in Adam, all die. So, that all, in Christ, all will be made alive. It doesn't stop there. It says, but each in his own turn. So God is doing a complete 
plan of salvation for all of humanity. But he's doing it in a particular order. Each in his own turn. So what this is saying here is, when God is ready to call, the person he's calling will hear. When the turn for that person comes, that person will hear. So my sheep knows my voice. And that they will. But look at what it says. It doesn't say that it is God alone who is, who is involved here. It is both the person God is calling and God himself that are involved. Because listen, listen to these words that are overlooked by once saved, always saved teachers. My sheep hears my voice. So it requires the person, first of all, to hear. And then it goes on, and they follow. They follow me. So that it is in, it is in the circumstances of hearing God, and the word hearing in scripture connotes that the person has believed the, the, the hearing in, in, in the sense here. They've heard, heard and heard and believed. They hear my voice and they're falling because they have believed him. So my sheep hears my voice and they follow me and I give them eternal life. It is on the condition that they have heard and followed him that they are being given eternal life. You cannot use this text and to say, wow, you know, no matter what you do, because you have to be following God, you have to be listening to Him, so that eternal life may be yours. So this text cannot be used to say, wow, you can, you can, you know, all by yourself, you know, you can list, you can, um, Decide that I can I cannot listen to God and I don't have to follow God. You cannot do that because it requires listening and following to gain eternal life. So that text does not stand up as um, as you will see. In fact, the word follow, the the, the, the the Greek word used there is is a continuous action. Um, when you look at the, the, the meaning of the word, it explains continuing to follow. It's not just at an instant that the person responded, but the person maintained that action of following God. And so they continue to follow and remain faithful to Him. And that is why they will never perish. In other words, we have already looked at the text in Hebrews 10.26, which says, if you do not follow, you will not have eternal life. Okay, we're looking, going down the, the, the ladder here. John 5, verse 24. We just wanted to get these texts out of the way because these are the texts that are used to prove that once you receive your salvation, you have no responsibility of, um, you know, making it into the kingdom of God. John 5, 24. Verse 24, I say unto you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Because what they are saying is, what one saves, always saves, teaching says, is that I already have eternal life. And if I already have eternal life, it means I cannot lose it. Because it's eternal life that I already have. 
In fact, the, 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 the other one that is used to say, I'm born again. And if a person is born again, how can they be unborn? How can the person be unborn? Not understanding the concept of born again. That to be born again in scripture, what it really means is that you are now changed from flesh to spirit. So the, the believer is not yet born again. What the believer has is already a deposit of eternal life through the Spirit of God, but which will be ultimately manifested if we are faithful, where we will be changed and we shall be like Him. But that has not yet happened. That birth has not yet taken place. That is why when God was speaking to Nicodemus, Christ was speaking to Nicodemus, He made it clear to him, that which is flesh is flesh. And that which is spirit is spirit. Man is seeking to move from flesh to spirit. And that's when you're born. So except you be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God. It is when you become spirit that you can enter the kingdom of God. That's when you're born. These are fundamental principles that must be understood in order. So when it says here that you have eternal life, what you have is the promise, the earnest deposit of God's Spirit has been given to you. You have it. It is promised to you. It is yours. But you must work in order that it will be completely fulfilled. So God would say, it is they that endure to the end who shall be saved. It's written in scripture, very clearly, as you will see. So he says here, he does not come into judgment. So he says that person does not come into judgment. That is why they say once saved, always saved. But has passed from death to life. So the context of this verse here must be understood again, like the previous one, where it says, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. In other words, if you do not hear his word, meaning you're not obeying him and believing in God, you do not have eternal life. That's what the converse of this is saying. So to say that, oh, I can live, it matters not what I do, I'm okay, is not a scriptural position. Because this text, which is being used to prove that point, the very text disproves it. And so it has to be understood. We're running through the text. Let's go to John 3, verse 3 to 8. And that one, I don't have to spend much time there, because I made reference to it when I spoke about being born again. And that's another one. They say, well, okay, if I'm born again, how can I? But even if we were to use the argument of being born again, and an individual is saying, oh, I can't be born again because I'm not born into Christ. One would say that because one is not thinking. Because remember that you were, you, God describes, describes us, people who are in sin, as sons of 
Satan. He says, your father, the devil. So right now, you, are, you, 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 were, you had a birth from your righteousness with God and born in sin. That is, why, that is what that means. We are born in sin and we are shitting in iniquity because we are born as sons of the evil one, Satan, because we have taken on his nature. And so we are born. So although we are born in sin, we can be born again in Christ. So the idea that because you were born, you cannot be born, that's, that's an argument that is used by the once saved, always saved people. Oh, I'm born, so how, how can, are you going to say, can I be unborn? Yes, you can. You can be because it has happened before. And what you have to do is to understand what it means. Spiritually, it means that you are under the fatherhood of Satan or you're under the fatherhood of God. The spiritual concept there. So that, that one, again, does not have basis in Scripture. And these are the scriptures, all the scriptures you see me going through, are the scriptures that are presented by those who say we are once saved, always saved. These are the scriptures they're using. And I'm going through the scriptures. All they need to be done is to be explained. There's no mystery to them. Philippians 1 verse 6. It says, God will bring our salvation to completion. Let's read it. And I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So that text is, is making the point that God will bring to completion the work he has begun. And that is true. God makes his, has done his part to bring it to completion. He has given his son Jesus Christ. All of what God needs to do, Christ intercedes for us. But again, the question is, the human response, the response of the believer, if the believer is now working to do this. This is why Paul says, or is it Peter, who says, you must make your calling and your election sure. In other words, God has called you, but you have the responsibility to make sure it happens. That is why the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You have a responsibility to your faith. It is not just that because God has called you and God has begun a work in you. Because God wants to do a work in you. But in as much as God wants to do a work in you, God will not be able to do a work in you if you do not avail yourself. That's what happened when Jesus went into Capernaum and he was working. And Jesus, the power of God... God himself was there, and he wants to work miracles among the people, and he says he could not work any miracles, because they, of their unbelief, they would not believe. Jesus, although he has all the power for working miracles, could not, because it required their faith, it required their belief. The human response is vital for the completion of God's work in us. So God alone he has done all that he is to do. But as human beings, we are called upon to do our part that we may truly inherit eternal life. So all these texts that we could go through, they are very much there. And 
we must not allow ourselves to fall short because of, of them. Let us therefore look very quickly now as we will wind down on the, the few texts in which the responsibility of the believer is emphasized. First of all, God warns us in the scriptures not to be complacent. Never to be complacent. And that no one who is complacent about their salvation is going to make it into the kingdom of God. The warnings are there. Many, many passages. And many of them begins with, if you will make it into my kingdom, if. I'm just going to read a few quickly. In John 15.10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Conditionality. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Christ says that. You look at John 15, verse 6. It says, If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withers. If in other words, the requirement, the condition, the word if. Look at John 15 verse 14. You can just jot them down. I'm reading them through quickly. You are my friends if you do what I command you. If. How can anyone not see this? You look in Hebrews 3 and verse 14. It says, if we share in Christ, no, no, it says, we share in Christ if only we hold to our first confidence, firm to the end. We share in Christ if we hold. Make, make a note of them. That's Hebrews 3.14. So, there are many such uh, passages that show the conditionality that our, 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 our salvation is based upon our contribution upon what we do and therefore it must not be God also warns man against falling away and you saw that um, in, in, in um, Hebrews 10 but here is another text that um, Galatians 5 verse 4 Galatians 5 4 says you are severed from Christ look at that they say nothing can, nothing can separate you from, from God. You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Paul is warning the Galatians. You are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Because they are seeking to be justified by the law. And that's another issue. Um, you know, that many people believe that the law justifies. The law does not justify anyone. Christ justifies. But Christ justifies those who obey him. So it says that it says um, the um, what, is, what is the scripture is just missing me. He justifies who obey. Um, what is the, the text that says that? There's a text which says that um, Whom he 
uh, it will come back to me. There's a text which, which makes it. Anyone remembers it? I'll come back to it. We see also um, in First Corinthians ten twelve. In First Corinthians ten twelve. I'm sure before I'm through I'll remember that particular text if you don't find it. 10-12. It says, um, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. So that, you know, this is a direct word to those who say, once saved, I'm always saved. Let anyone who thinks he stands, be careful. That's a very, very, um, you know, direct word. Hebrews 12, Hebrews 2, verses 1 to 3. And you can just jot these down as we go along. I'm reading them for you. Hebrews 2, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, we must pay the closer attention to what we have heard. Here is a warning. Lest we drift away from it. Pay close attention to what you've heard, lest you drift away from it. For if the message declared by angels was valid and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How can we be saying that it is okay to sin? It is okay, it doesn't matter because, you know, now in fairness to the, 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 the um, the evangelical thinking in the, in the, of this doctrine, they, they actually teach and admonish believers to live up to the faith. And that is good. That is important. So they, they say, look, not because if you sin, God will not, um, you know, uh, he will not um, disallow you from entering his kingdom. It means that you must sin. So they do teach that. So they say you must continue to live righteously and uprightly. But what it does, because you know human nature and how human beings are, they say, okay, I'll do it, but I know it won't matter. So people can go ahead and do, because we all find circumstances where we have to make a judgment. And when we know that, well, I'm not going to lose anything, we go ahead and we do it. That is why it's so dangerous. Hebrews 3, 12 to 14, make a note of that too. Listen to this. Take care, brethren, lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. In your New Testament, why would you see this and believe that you can do what you and you will not fall away? Because that's what once they always say teach. They teach that you cannot fall away. It goes on. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ if only we hold 
to our first confidence. We share in Christ only if we hold to our first confidence, firm to the end. These are very clear texts that tell us that it is not true that you can continue um, to sin and you are still going to enter the kingdom of God. The opposite is true. Everyone must seek to be faithful because Christ has said, and it is said over and over in the scripture, it is he who endures to the end who will be saved. And that's Satan's trick. Satan knows that, well, you are a Christian. And he knows, okay, you believe, and he can't get you to, 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 to throw away your belief. So he finds another way. Just what he did with Eve. Okay, I know you love God and so on, but when you do it, it's okay. You won't lose eternal life. You, you won't die. You'll be okay. And that's what he's doing. He's finding another way to get at faithful people. People who are once saved, always saved, are faithful people. They believe in God. They want to worship God. It's, not that, it's just that they must be careful about this lie that Satan has told that is seeking to destroy. Colossians 1, verses 21 to 23. I read that for you. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh through his death in order to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, comma, look at what ends it, provided that you continue in the faith. Condition. He will do all these things, provided that you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Wow! What strong words! What compelling words! How could we ever think otherwise than to understand that if we are not careful, we will fall away? It is written in the scriptures in so many places, brethren. Even the Apostle Paul, as good as he was, he realized that he could have lost his salvation. As great a man as he was, you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 to 27, and you see this apostle who wrote most of the New Testament, who was such a faithful man, making the point so that we will not fall in this trap of one save, always save. He says, well, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I pummel my body and subdue it. Lest after preaching to others, I myself shall be disqualified. The apostle thought that he could become disqualified. So what he does, he is 
pummeling in his body, meaning that he's putting himself under the discipline. He's disciplining himself. Let's see becomes this word. Are you telling me that the Apostle Paul could have thought this way, but you think that your salvation, you cannot be disqualified? Is that true? It is important for us to understand. So let me let me give you as the last scripture before I make my closing comments. Hebrews 6 verse 4 to 6. There are many other scriptures. I'm going to close with this one. Hebrews 6, verses 4 to 6. It is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened. Notice, these are persons who have come to know the truth. Who have tasted the goodness of the word of God. They have come to know God's word. And the power of the age to come Okay, so notice these are good Christians with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Notice now what follows. If they fall away, no no reconciliation. And I can explain more of that. No reconciliation. If they fall away. Why? It's explained. Since they crucify the Son of God on their own account and hold him up in contempt. This means this is a person who knew God, knew his word, had the Spirit of God, but failed to be faithful. And what the scripture is saying, that this person has crucified the Son of God on their own account and hold him up to contempt. Hence, it is impossible to restore again this person to repentance. That is why it's such a dangerous doctrine and why it is being, it's been creeping into Christianity all along. But always remember where it began. Go back to Genesis 3 and verse 4. That's where this doctrine began. And Satan has been able to keep it going until this day. So there are many who believe that this is somehow they can make it into the kingdom of God no matter how much they sin because God, nothing can pluck me from his hand. Nothing can pluck me from his hand. But we have explained the text. And so, so, The importance of this teaching and why each believer needs to be aware of it and to understand it is because what it does, it's a very subtle kind of teaching. It's not a teaching that says you must not love God. It's not a teaching that says, you know, that Christ has not died for you. It doesn't say that God is not faithful. It, It says all good, nice things. But the subtleness of it is what it says is that, you know, now that I am secure in my salvation, 
there's nothing I can do to lose it. So, when the hard times come upon us, the difficult choices in life, where we are tempted to sin, we are not going to have a big issue with ourselves. Because we are going to say, you know what? Oh, I prefer not to do it, but at the same time, I know if I do it, I'm not losing my salvation. And that is where one state always say it is dangerous. And that is why we have to be careful that we understand that we, we just cannot. What it is saying is that, you know, we can ignore all the scripture warnings that teach us about to overcome sin and to persevere to the end. We can ignore them because I am safe already. There is no way that I can lose my salvation. So it is in this light that I'm very pleased to have been here to share with you and we can look in the word of God together. There is more, lots more. But at least there is sufficient for us to think of these things that we may grow. Amen.